Welcome to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a stimulating discussion of news and humor from a Jewish perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Rabbi Mendy. Good morning, Shavua Tov, Agutavach. A great week. Well, we're starting with a great day. Sitting here in Studio 34, it's sunny outside. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Last night, the winds were howling, the snow was falling, and now it's sunny outside. Shmuley tells me, my son Shmuley tells me that the weather is going to become much better today and soon go into the 70s. After all, it's the week of Purim. It's a week of joy, celebration, and happiness. So the weather better uh, join in the fun and warm up a little bit so we can, uh, it'll be easier to walk around in the, on Purim when we give out our Shalach Manas. What Shalach Manas? I'll talk about that soon. But right now, let's begin our day and our week with a prayer, some charity, and even a blessing on a drink. Nice hot coffee. So if you haven't yet, please grab a yarmulke or something else that you can cover your head with as we're going to say the Shema together. And as we started last week, I say as we began a custom last week, the Rebbe told us in the 80s, uh, there was a war going on, I think it was 1983, 82, 84, I don't remember which year. And the Rebbe said one of the ways to help out in the war, we were children. And the Rebbe said one of the ways to help out in the war effort was to make sure that we said two special prayers. One before our morning service and one after one, each one of our daily services. And that's that we hereby take upon ourselves the mitzvah, to love our fellow as ourself. We do that, of course, every Shabbos here at Shul. But really and truthfully, everyone should be doing that every single day. Begin their day with the special prayer. It's in the Siddur, in the Chabad Siddur, it's on page 12. But it's in every Siddur, you can see it, and find it on some page or another. So please join together with me. Hareni, Mikabel, Alai, Mitzvas, 
assay shell ve'ahafta l'reacha kamocha and now cover your eyes with your right hand and let's all say it together shema yisrael adonai eloheinu adonai Echad, Baruch, Shame, Kivod, Malchuso, Leolam, Vaed. Now, if you have a coin, please grab a coin or more and let's put it in the Tzedakah Pushka. Now, grab a drink if you're lucky to have a hydro flask. Then your coffee is definitely hot. Let's say it together. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Shehakol Nihia Bidvaro. Ah, that's good. I mentioned that we're at we're in the week. Of Purim. That's right, this coming Wednesday night and Thursday is the most joyous day in the year. We celebrate it with listening to the Megillah, with giving out gifts of food, giving out gifts to the poor, and of course, delicious foods with a, a, a dinner, a lunch, a dinner, a meal filled with lachaims and joy and merrymaking. Not, as it all, not only does it have an impact on this week, but the joy has an impact on the entire month. So much so that we're told that from when we enter into the month of Adar, we have to increase in our joy. Every day, more and more joy. I often say to people, especially on our show, put on some good music to get up and dance. Now, who's really in the mood of dancing, you know, at, 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 at 10 o'clock in the morning? You just got up, you're having your coffee. And I'll make the question even better with it. It could be 5 in the afternoon, but you had a really hard day. Or things aren't going exactly the way you wanted them to go. You're in the mood of dancing. You're in the mood of having joy. How do you get yourself into the joy? And I tell people, act it, and it'll be there. You know the, 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 the line, build it and they'll come? Act it, and you'll feel it. The fact is, if you put on some good Jewish music, you get up and dance, you'll feel joyous. I haven't seen anybody dancing and sobbing. Well, it happens from time to time, usually crying out of joy. I saw that this past week when there were people who managed to get out of Ukraine and landed, whether it was in New York or Miami or in Israel or in, sometimes in just the other surrounding countries around Ukraine, Romania and Moldova and Poland, where they started dancing and some of them had tears in their eyes. They were obviously dancing for the joy that they were saved and at the same time sad for what's going on back home, those that they left behind. 
and for that which they left behind. Obviously not as important as those they left behind, but even their lives, their, their, their homes, their cars, their jobs, or simply put, their lives. So while sometimes it may be hard to celebrate, sometimes you just got to celebrate. Someone asked me on Friday, and I'm sure there'll be others who'll have the same question, how do you get into the Purim spirit when you know what's going on around the world and are things so terrible that are going on? But as Jews, we are blessed, truly blessed to have a Torah. And this Torah is our compass for life. The Torah is what guides us on what we're supposed to do, where we're supposed to go, and even what we're supposed to feel. You see, we have a deeper truth. We have an essence, a spiritual energy that needs to be tapped into at any particular time. So the Torah lovingly tells us, don't only pay attention to what your body is feeling right now. Here is where your soul wants to be. And so, the Torah, our divine manual, tells us that getting together for the mitzvahs of the day is the right thing to do. Indeed, the entire Purim story is about the transformation of darkness into light, of transforming sadness into joy. In fact, that's one of the reasons we dress up on Purim, because everything was turned upside down. In the Megillah, use the word vinahapechu. Everything was upside down. You know, there's a story, I think I mentioned it last week, about the son of a Rebbe who wanted to eat an apple. But he wasn't sure his father would give it to him. So he took the apple in front of his father and said the bracha, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Bore pri ha'etz. He made the blessing on the apple. And as you know, after you make a blessing, you're not allowed to talk until you take a bite into the food that you eat. And so, his father had no choice but to allow him to eat the apple. It is this story that the Rebbe tells us why it is when we come to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, we say the blessings of the day and the blessing says, Blessed are you, God, who will forgive us. How do you make such a blessing? How do you know that God will forgive us? Are you so sure? But rather like that child who knew that if he made the blessing on the apple, he would definitely get the apple. We know that God will definitely forgive us on Yom Kippur. And the same is true now. As Jews, living with simcha and joy, that itself is seen as a vessel for the blessings in our life and for the blessing for the world at large. Those of you who listened to Rabbi Levitansky last week, and we may have him again um, tomorrow night. We're working on it right now. It's difficult to pull these things together in literally a war zone. And he's, Baruch Hashem, I'll give you a little update. He managed to get out. And most recently, when I spoke to him, he was in Romania. 
and him and his wife were helping the refugees not only get out of Sumy and the other parts of Ukraine, but also when they came to Moldova and then to Romania, they had to have a place to sleep, food to eat, before they moved on to the next place. And they were there in the kitchen cooking and doing, uh, preparing for everybody. So hopefully we'll have them back, and I'll send out an email if we can get them to, to speak for us tomorrow uh, or any day this week. I'll send an email with the information about, about how you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's difficult to get a hold of them, and they're, they're simply nonstop busy. Every single one of the rabbis, the Chabad rabbis, stayed in Ukraine as long as they possibly could. When it got to a point that it was literally, you, you couldn't stay there because bombs were falling on residential neighborhoods, the ones that could left. There were still some that stayed. But even those that left, they continued working the phones 24-7, and I say that without a, 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 a exaggeration. There's a, a place in Israel, a place in Poland, where rabbis, and in New York, by the way, where rabbis are sitting around on the phones 24-7. That's right, including Shabbos. Shabbos is a day when you're not supposed to be on a phone. You're not supposed to be doing anything that is unholy for Shabbos, and yet now they're on the phones on Shabbos helping rescue people every single day. And I remember Rabbi Levitansky said two things. He said, first of all, he had to make a decision. Where is, is he going to be more helpful? Staying in Sumi or leaving and being on the outside, helping you know, get food in, helping buses bring people out. In the end, he had to leave. And hopefully again, we'll hear from him talk about it. But another thing he said was, you want to do something for us? Yeah, it's really nice. The community rallied and sent money uh, to help them. That's awesome. And, and, and continue. There are people who have sent multiple uh, donations already. You gave one donation right when I sent out my first email. Then after the speech, gave another, other donations. And then again, gave again. There are people who are not just gave one time. Constantly giving. We raised thousands and thousands of dollars just in our beautiful greater Milford community. But he said also he wants everyone to pray. And to do a mitzvah. But very, very important is to be joyous. Because we need to make the blessing on the apple. Because if we are joyous, then we're guaranteed that God will give us reasons to be joyous. By the way, on a side note, I mentioned rabbis who stayed or are still in Ukraine. I mentioned rabbis who left Ukraine and are working uh, outside to send food in and medicine in and, and to, to you know, coordinate whatever has to be done to help people get out and, and, and help to get in. And then there's the rabbi, two of them. One is Rabbi Asman and one is Rabbi Wolf, who left with their community. Rabbi Wolf left with his, his, the orphanage of 85 children. Rabbi Asman left with three plane loads from Kiev, and, and, they, and, they, and they flew out to Israel. Rabbi Wolf's orphanage is in, is in Germany currently. And then both of them went back. After they've settled their communities outside, some in Israel, some in Germany, they flew back and went back to the communities in Ukraine. So they can help coordinate together with the other rabbis who are outside Ukraine to bring the help that's needed inside. And so, yes, we will celebrate this Purim. And if you feel right now it's not going to come easy, I tell you it will come very easy because as we... Um, resolve to do what the Torah wants of us, 
and will drink a Lachayim with heartfelt prayers for a better world, will know that by, by the time Purim comes, it's this Thursday, we'll already have the end of this terrible war and that people will be able to rebuild, come back and rebuild their lives. So, don't be afraid. Get up and dance. You know, within all this craziness that's going on in Ukraine, there's a bunch of amazing goodness to talk about. So, get up and dance. Don't be afraid. No one's looking. You're home alone. Who's going to see if you're dancing? Your spouse, maybe they'll, they'll want to dance too. This song, titled, Harebi Hiftiach, Harebi Kaim, the Rebbe promised, the Rebbe will fulfill, is referring to the time that the Rebbe promised that this is the generation of the coming of Mashiach. But I'm playing this song today because I remember another guarantee, promise that Rebbe gave at a different war. And I would like that, I would like to hope that that guarantee and promise works on this war too. In 1991, we had the Gulf War. You remember that? There was a lot of miracles that happened then. But I remember this story. It stuck in my brain. A guy, his name is Chaplain Jake Goldstein. Yaakov Goldstein. He's a rabbi for the U.S. National Guard. I'm not sure exactly which battalion or which group, but he was being deployed to Iraq. And I, I shouldn't say Iraq. One of the countries nearby where they were going to be attacking um, Iraq. And he came to get a blessing from the Rebbe. And every Sunday the Rebbe would stand and give a dollar to, to any person who passed by, men, women, and children, Jews, and even non-Jews. Anyone who wanted a blessing from the Rebbe would come on Sunday. The Rebbe would start sometimes at 11 or 12 o'clock, and then it would go for four, five, six, seven, eight hours. The Rebbe would stand in one place and hand out these dollar bills to thousands of people who came to ask for the Rebbe's guidance and blessing. And this chaplain in the U.S. Armed Forces passed by the Rebbe and told the Rebbe that he's going to be deployed to the Iraq war. And he asked the Rebbe if he should take his Megillah. I don't remember when this took place, but I think it may have taken place three months earlier or something like that. I don't remember when the war broke out right now. It it slips my memory. But I do remember it was months in advance. And he asked the Rebbe, if he can take, if he should take his Megillah with him, it's an extra thing, you know. When you when you're going out, anytime you travel, you want to, you know, travel minimally. You want to take the minimal amount of stuff with you. You don't like to schlep too many things. It's too hard to travel when you have too many big suitcases. So he's now thinking a few months ahead, and he wanted to know if he should take his Megillah. And the Rebbe said to him, "You don't need to take your Megillah because the war will be over by Purim." Imagine that. The Rebbe publicly stated, months in advance, when no one knew what was going to happen, months in advance, the Rebbe stated that the war will be over by Purim. By Purim. And indeed, one day before Purim, the war was over. 
America was in full control. The Allies were in full control of Iraq. So I'm going to play this song. The Rebbe promised, the Rebbe will fulfill. Best and most importantly is that we have the revelation of Mashiach now so that for sure, by Purim, this war will also be over. say one of the upsides of having Studio 34, i.e. doing our, ra- our schmooze program from the Chabad house, 
is that every so often we get to have my daughter Chani join us. Chani or Chana? Chana. We have this constant bickering, whether her name is Chana or Chani. I call her Chani, and she likes the name Chana. So sometimes I call her Chana, sometimes Chani. Anyway, we get to have her, you know, sometimes uh, before she gets into Hebrew school. So we're really happy to have her today. There's a song that you probably know from when you were a child. Because they taught it in almost every Hebrew school. It's a Hebrew song about Purim. That Purim is a, a great holiday for the Jewish people. We have masks and and graggers, right? Graggers are to boo out Haman's name. You know, you 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 uh, you uh, twirl the gragger in order to make noise. when every time we hear Haman's name during the reading of the Megillah and songs and dancing, I'm translating the song, by the way. And then we say, "Come, let's make noise." Rush, rush, rush. Havan Arisha. Rush, rush, rush. So, here we go. Chani, should I sing with you? You're going to sing yourself. I'll sing myself. You sing yourself? Okay. Here we go. And if you know the song, Chag Purim, Chag Purim, Chag Gadol Yehudim. Please join together with Chani. Chag Purim, Chag Purim, Chag Gadol Yehudim. Masecho Rashadim, Shirikadim. Now that was beautiful. Come on, get up and dance. Sing together with us. Chag Purim, Chag Purim, Chag Adolai Yehudim, Masechot Rashanim, Zmirot Rikudim. Beautiful. Thank you very much. And now you got to run off. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for bringing us this extra joy that we need on this beautiful Sunday morning. And of course, Benny Friedman, not as good as Khani, but he has music. So enjoy. So I told you about the amazing courage of the rabbis who've stayed. I mentioned the amazing courage of the rabbis who left and the rabbis who left and came back. Every single one of them has their mission, their job to do. When I say rabbis, by the way, I have to um, put a caveat in here. Rabbis means a family. The rabbi, his wife, his children, they're all doing this all together. And I, I use the term rabbis and shluchim as a general term referring to their entire family. A, a news reporter recently called me 
he was writing a story about what's going on in Ukraine. And he asked me, so I, I looked into this. We have 192 shluchim in the Ukraine. It's not really called the Ukraine. It's in Ukraine. Because I was told that saying in the Ukraine is like saying in the America. <clears throat> so there are 192 shluchim, families. That means a husband, a wife, a rabbi, and a rabbitzin, and whatever number of children. Most recently I saw a family of of nine children who came uh, back to Florida. When I say back to Florida, because their family lives in Florida, so they left Ukraine and they came um, to Florida this past week. I think it was on Tuesday evening. But I want to talk to you, you know, with all the craziness that's going on, there's also a lot of amazing things that are going on. So, you know, you hear all the time people tell you, that this happened for a good reason. If only we knew the reason. Here's an amazing story that happened last week. So you may have heard in the news, Kharkov was big in the news. Kharkov is one of the biggest cities in Ukraine. And obviously, when they're trying to inflict pain and trying to take over and occupy the country, they've gone after a city like Ukraine, like Kharkov, filled with a lot of people and a lot of Jewish people. However, the Chabad activists, the Shluchim, those inside and outside of Ukraine have been working tirelessly to bring people out, get people out of cities like Kharkov. And every time they could, whenever there's some quiet, they try to arrange buses, forgetting the cost. But there's a lot of planning that goes on into arranging this and then getting the people. Which people go on which bus? And how do they get there? Or for the same reason, when you're sending a truck in a food, where does the food go? How do people come get it? So we have huge uh, centers that have become a place of refuge for people to sleep. Every Chabad shul and every Chabad institution has become a miklat, a place to gather together people to sleep and eat. And whenever they can get food or medicine, it, it, they drop it off at the Chabad institution. And then it gets distributed. And obviously there's lists of who's in town, who got to leave. Sometimes you don't even know. I was listening to one rabbi the other day who said, truth be told, I don't know. I, 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 I WhatsApp people. I send texts to people. I don't hear from them. I don't know if I don't hear from them because their phone is dead and they're living in a place where there's no electricity or because they got out and they don't have time to respond. So it's very hard. Those who respond, we know where they are. Those who don't, sometimes impossible to get to them unless there's some quiet, there's a lull in the, in the noise. When I say noise, I mean the bombardment and they go to those, um, to those uh, houses and buildings to find the people living there. So one of the things they have is when they, when they do get a bus to go out or when they have a plan to have buses leave with families, usually those families consist of only women and children because as you know, uh, the men between the ages of 18 and 60 are required to stay behind and help fight. So they arrange for a bus and they tell the people on this day, at this time, the bus is going to come to this spot. Make sure you have... Your bag, you can take one piece of luggage, maybe two pieces of luggage, sometimes just a handbag. 
because that's how much room they have. And be there and you'll get on the bus. In this case, this happened last week. I think it was March 7th. So Chabad arranged for a bus to go out to leave the city. Actually, arranged for two separate buses. One was going to leave on the 7th and one was going to leave on the 6th. I'm sorry, it was Monday and Tuesday, so it was the 7th and the 8th. One was going to leave on the 7th and one was going to leave on the 8th. And they called up the people in, I'm going to just, because I don't know the names of streets, so I'm going to just say Building A, and they told them, you're leaving on the 7th. And they called people up in Building B, and they said, you're leaving on the 8th. Have your things ready and be ready to go. But because of the craziness that's going on there and never knowing what's going to happen, every minute things change, it was a human error. And the people in Building B, the bus showed up to the people in Building B on March 7th, on Monday. And they weren't ready. The bus pulls up outside the building. 18 Jewish people were told they got phone calls, frantic phone calls, told the bus came to the wrong place. You Not the wrong place, but to, to your building and is picking you guys up now. Not tomorrow, today. And they said, no, no, what do you mean you can't? And, and I, the rabbi told me, they were screaming, they were arguing, some even cursed at him. How dare you do this to us? You didn't give us enough time. We're supposed to leave tomorrow. We, we didn't put together all the stuff. He said, listen, I'm telling you right now, the bus is outside your building now. There was a mistake. I apologize for the mistake, but I need you to take your stuff and go. But we're not going to get all our stuff. It doesn't matter. This is your chance. You don't take it. You don't get on the bus. I don't know when the next bus is going to be. This happened this past Monday. So reluctantly, they took whatever they can get in that short period of time that they had the bus waiting and they left. As I said, 18 Jewish people from one of those buildings got onto that bus. However, the next morning, the next morning, Building B, the, pe- the building where the people left the building and got on the bus the day earlier because of a human error, was hit by a rocket and completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. Had they waited for their the right time for their bus, which would have been on the 8th, none of them would have gotten on a bus. That building was destroyed. And the rabbi said it, it was so interesting because they were screaming at him and, and he, he understood them. He understood that they were upset. They were upset because they needed to uh, have more time to pack up. They weren't ready. He understood that. But he also understood that he managed to get the bus. The guy was there with the bus. You don't have time to play around, to go to the other side of the city and try to get uh, the other people. But had they not gotten on the bus... They wouldn't be here today. And so I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that within all of the craziness, there are, there, there are beautiful moments as well. 
times when we get to see the miracles. But to tell you the truth, it's not just when something goes wrong that we say, okay, something went wrong, so in order for something good, that something a, a bigger disaster doesn't happen. Like in this case, they lost out the opportunity. They thought they are going to have more time to pack. They didn't have the time to pack. They avoided a much bigger disaster. But the truth be told that oftentimes it's not that because something, some minor inconvenience comes our way that means we avoided some terrible thing that would have happened. But rather, it's maybe because of that minor inconvenience something incredible is going to happen. When something goes wrong, we want to understand why. In our heart of hearts, we know that everything has a reason. Every event has a purpose. So often, we will explain it to ourselves with something bad instead of something worse. It's a simple rationale that we make for ourselves. But the Torah teaches us, and we talked about this at our Friday night Shabbos dinner, the Torah teaches us something much more profound a better understanding. Rather, these events prepare us for something greater that will happen in the future. Every descent will eventually turn into an ascent. Not just do we avoid a catastrophe like in the story in Kharkov, but even more so. The Rebbe spoke about this at a Purim Fabrengen in 1982. And the Rebbe said that every word in the Torah was carefully chosen. So much so that often our classes that we have, our Thursday night Torah study classes, by the way, you can still join them. We have a couple more before the end of the season. Sometimes our classes are based completely on just one extra letter that seems to be in the Torah. And that's a cause for great debate in the Talmud, why that extra letter is there and what we have to learn from that extra letter. What lesson we can learn from that extra letter. And yet, there's a book in the Torah, the book of the Megillah. And when we read the Megillah, which is the the scroll of Esther, you will find many paragraphs, many details of the story that seem to be completely unnecessary in knowing the simple story. You know, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. For instance, we read about the 180-day drunken party that Ahasuerus, the king of Persia, hosted. Read about the fact that he had a short temper and he sentenced his wife Vashti to death right then and there. Those parts of the story, why are they important for us to know those stories? What's so important about it? And then, when we introduce Mordechai in the Megillah, Mordechai is the the hero, one of the heroes of the Megillah. Esther's a hero. Mordechai's a hero. All the Jewish people in the story of Purim are heroes. But when the Megillah introduces Mordechai, the Megillah points out these words, it says, he has been exiled from Jerusalem with the exiles that were exiled with Yechaniah, the king of Yehuda, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had exiled. Why is that information important? Why do we need to know 
that he was exiled with that exile. He's Mordechai. He's a Jew. He's a leader of the Jewish people there. Why was it important to know what his background was in the story of Purim? As the Rebbe told us, because every detail in the story was setting the stage for the great Purim miracle. The drunken party, Vashti's execution, and even the exile of the Jews. Yes, that great tragedy that befell the Jewish people was all just a prelude to the great, great Purim miracle that followed. Mordechai and Esther were positioned to help and save the Jewish people only because of all these events, how they happened. So every single event in the Megillah, including the Jews going into exile, imagine that, and, and the party he made, and the fact that Vashti was executed, and every other piece of that story was all to lead us to the great Purim miracle that helped save the Jewish people. As we're about to celebrate Purim in now four days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday night, we're going to celebrate Purim and we're going to listen again to the reading of the Megillah. I hope that we can always remember this lesson. Setbacks in life, and let's hope that they're only minor, like setbacks like, you know, uh, uh, being stuck in traffic or losing your wallet or something. Heaven forbid it shouldn't be where you have to leave your entire life behind and run away. But setbacks in life are custom designed for our own good. Hopefully, realizing this, we can sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. And as our the Rebbe would t- tell us all the time, it's individuals who are going through a hard time, they have said, Tracht gut, but sein gut. Think good, and it'll be good. And Eighth Day has a great song, so take it away. Met a little boy with big brown eyes, he said, Trock with a vent sign good. I met a little girl who had no hair, she said, Trock with a vent sign good. Trock with a vent sign good. Trock with a vent sign good. Trock with a vent sign good to me. Trock with a vent sign good. Trock with a vent sign good. Trock with a vent sign good to me.
Indeed, tracht gut, that sein gut. Think good, and indeed, it will be good. Earlier, I was talking about that sometimes, if you're not in the mood of being happy, all you got to do is get up and dance. That will put you in the mood. But the truth is, it's always the case. In every part of our lives, actions, if you do them like ritualistically, constantly, even if you do them mindlessly, will change you. You know, if you go and exercise, so even if you hate going to the gym, but if you do it on a regular basis, it's going to impact your life. And the same is true with mitzvahs. If you give charity every day, it will make you a more compassionate person. Not just when you give charity, but if you do it every day, putting coin or coins or bills into a pushka, it's going to make you more compassionate. If you honor your parents, it'll make you more appreciative to anyone that does any good for you. And keeping Shabbos will help integrate faith, faith in God, It'll integrate it into your everyday life. Which brings me to Purim. And one of my favorite Purim mitzvahs. On Purim, we celebrate the victory of the Jews over their worst enemy, Haman. He was the man who came closest to completely annihilating all of the Jewish people. This holiday is mostly known for masquerading, for hamantashen, lively parties, but nothing in Judaism is random. And there are at least four specific mitzvahs which we do, which we need to observe on Purim Day. And if you think about it, three of them seem self-explanatory. Actually, there's a Another mitzvah of just being joyous. I'll talk about the four of them in a second. The one about just being joyous, that's an all-encompassing mitzvah. But then we have four specific mitzvahs we do on Purim Day. And three of them make sense, the self-explanatory. For example, mitzvah number one is the reading of the Megillah. We have to hear the reading of the Megillah once at night on Wednesday evening. We're going to be doing that at Chabad. Um, at 7.15 p.m. And then once again, to hear it again, during the daytime on Purim. And we'll be doing it here at Chabad, um, beginning at 10 in the morning with the service. Then we're going to do it at a whole bunch of senior living facilities around the community. And then we're going to have a uh, public reading at 2.30 uh, in the afternoon. And then the big, huge Purim party and dinner in the evening, we were going to read the Megillah as well. So the reading of the Megillah is a familiar way for Jews to remember and recall the tremendous miracle of the time. Reading the Megillah's Esther, the book of Esther, as it appears in a kosher scroll, is crucial to connecting us to the story in a powerfully godly way. When you hear the story, read from the scroll. Even if you're reading yourself, you're following along from a booklet, but it's being read the same way it was written two and a half thousand years ago. 
that connects us to the time. It makes us feel like we're actually there. Hearing the Megillah sets the stage for us to appreciate what we're celebrating. That's the first mitzvah. Hear the Megillah. The second mitzvah is to feast and to dine. And that's also very familiar in Jewish celebrations. We do it every Shabbos, every Yom Tif. The only festival that we don't, do, uh, we don't dine on, we don't eat on, is, is Yom Kippur. And even that, we eat before Yom Kippur, we eat after Yom Kippur. But it makes sense, because the rescue that we had in the story of Purim was a rescue from genocide. So it makes sense to, be, to mark it with an unbridled celebration. I said it earlier, if you have to encompass all of Judaism in nine words, you ready? Start counting on your hands. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. And some people add the words and drink. So that's the second mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to have a, 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 a meal, a, a banquet, a dinner. And that's what we're going to do here at 5.30 on uh, Purim. Mitzvah number three is we're obligated to give charity to at least two poor people on Purim. And that follows a very familiar pattern of Jewish observance which places a, a, a real importance on tzedakah, on giving to the poor. And it ensures that the poor people also have a way to celebrate the holiday. And that's essential obligation to a holiday, to make sure everyone else has, not just yourself. If you sit down and you have your, 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 your Seder, but you didn't make sure that others have too, that's not a Seder. You always have to make sure before Pesach that everyone has the means to have a Seder. And we're going to do that here. We always have the opportunity for people to help give matzah and give uh, uh, food and provisions for people to celebrate Passover. And Purim is no different. We make sure that on Purim Day, we give charity to at least two poor people. You can give, obviously, to hundreds or thousands of people. But to give charity to a minimum, a minimum of two poor people. And we help you do that here at Chabad when you come to the Purim dinner party. But the purpose of the last mitzvah, we need to understand. The fourth mitzvah is Shalach Manis. Sending gifts of food to a friend. Now, just want to point out, we do that here. Also, you'll be able to do that at the Purim party. But that, that's what the Purim project has been. We've been doing the Purim project where people were able to sign up and gift a gift to people in the community. And already starting on Friday, but today is the big day where most people are coming to pick up the uh, gifts. At, we have a lot of people coming to volunteer to deliver these gifts all around the community. And by the way, if you want to volunteer, we still need some volunteers. We're giving out hundreds of gifts this year, and we need as many people as we can. If you can give out 5, 10, 20, 50, if you can spend an hour, two hours, five hours, any day this week, starting today all the way through Thursday. If you can do it any of these days, you can come pick it up. Let us know how much time you have or how many people you want to give to, and we'll find you a group of homes not too far from where you live even, but a group of homes that are in, in close proximity that you can go deliver not just these packages, but the, more importantly, deliver joy. So that's what we're doing with the Purim Project, and that's what we're going to be doing on Thursday. We're going to give out gifts of food to other people. 
One second. This is not an obligation to look out some starving, homeless person and give them a sandwich. This mitzvah, Mishloach Manos, is an obligation to share at least two ready-to-eat foods with at least one fellow Jew during the day of Purim. The obvious question is, why is that even considered a mitzvah? Why is it an essential obligation of every Jewish man, woman, and child on Purim to give a gift of food to someone who has food? We're not talking about giving. We already have a mitzvah to give money to two poor people, a minimum of two poor people. Why is there a mitzvah, an obligation to give, like I said, not just an obligation for men or just women. It's an obligation for men, women, and children to give gifts of food to others who seemingly have plenty. You can give it to the richest person in the neighborhood. The reason is this. When Haman schemed to kill all the Jews, he went to the king and he said to the king and he described the Jewish people as a single nation scattered and dispersed amongst the nations. In other words, not only did their expulsion from the land of Israel geographically separate them from each other, but they were internally divided as well. And therefore he was telling the king that if we mark them for extinction, it's not going to be a liability for the king because no one cared about them and they don't care about each other as well. That They're fragmented. They're separated. They're not as one people. They fight with each other. But Haman was wrong. Because as soon as he made the decree, Jews around the world rallied together in their commitment to Judaism and in their commitment to each other. And subsequently, they were able to vanquish their enemies. Mordechai and Esther enshrined this show of unity within the Purim festival observance by obligating us, by giving us the mitzvah to share food with a fellow Jew on Purim is to nurture that fellowship, that camaraderie, that friendship, that show of unity between us. And back to our discussion where I said when you do something, even if you're doing it mindlessly, it will do the trick. This is true here. The act itself, just by giving a gift of food to a fellow Jew, does the trick. It brings us together. So even when we feel the world is falling apart, we're standing together. We're standing together for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We're standing together with our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land of Israel. And we're standing together with our brothers and sisters right here in your neighborhood. You know, we love every Jew, but I don't like my neighbor, the Jew. You know, oftentimes we get aggravated by the guy who sits next to us in Shul. The trick and the lesson of Purim is to give gifts of food to, our, to a fellow Jew, teaching us that indeed, every single one of us is connected. And by do, like doing exercise makes you healthy. Giving gifts of food this coming Thursday makes you more connected to our fellow Jews. So, 
Purim begins on Wednesday evening, March 16th. And as I said, we're going to read the Megillah and have some hamantash and refreshments that evening at 7.15 p.m. And it goes all the way through Thursday at sundown. And I strongly encourage you to participate in the various events that we're having. And you go to our website, jewishma.com, J-E-W-I-S-H-M-A.com, where you can sign up to join us for the big party, of course, on Thursday evening, March 17th at 5.30 p.m. It starts at 5.30. You say, well, well, Rabbi, I, I, I may have to be late. I may not be able to get until 6 or 6.30. That's fine. Let us know what time you're going to come. We'll make sure there's some food for you. And we'll make sure you get to hear the Megillah. Because we can read the Megillah until um, about 6.30, maybe just before 7. I didn't check up the time yet. But if you come a little late, we'll be able to read the Megillah for you as well. Sign up, join us. You know what? A lot of people are already joining us, but we'll make sure, as we say, to shoehorn you in. We'll have a nice crowd of people celebrating. We have a great entertainment. Marvelous Marvin is coming. We had him like five or seven years ago, and he entertained and enthralled adults and children alike. And he'll be back with us. So that's exciting. We're going to have their Megillah reading. We'll have delicious, delicious catered food, which is always a big hit around here. So please participate in the Megillah readings Wednesday night, Thursday. If you can't join us here, we'll have a service in the morning, 10 a.m. You can join us for that. Or you can join us at one of the senior living facilities that we're going to be reading at during the day. And of course, make sure to feast. Make sure to give charity. But please remember to give at least two ready-to-eat foods to at least one fellow Jew on Thursday. And as, like I said, if you're going to be here, you'll be able to do it here to a fellow Jew here at the Purim party. Because the surest way to ensure that the unity of our people experience in the face of Haman continues forever is by giving gifts and by being there for each other. Ladies and gentlemen, I look forward to celebrating this Purim with you. I hope you'll join us. If you didn't sign up yet, we still have a few seats available. Go to our website, jewishma.com, www.jewish.com, and register to join us. Join us for the Megillah readings. Join us for the Purim party. Join us for anything in between. We'd love to see you. And most importantly, you're a fellow Jew. We want to celebrate with you. And if you're not here with us, it's not a complete celebration. We really need you, yeah, yeah, you, to join us. And in the meantime, remember this. Your next deed, even if that deed means just going on the website and signing up to join us for Purim, your next deed will change the world. So make it a good one. L'chaim and a happy Purim to all of us. You've been listening to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. For more information on the Chabad House, including upcoming events, adult programs, Hebrew school, and more, visit gotchabad.com. That's G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com. Shalom.